0: Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast, live from the boogie down Bronx. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And today, we'll be talking about AWS and becoming serverless.
1: Where did the servers go, Dave? Can you help me find these servers? (laughs) That's the future. You don't need servers. You just don't need them. And you don't need roads. (laughs) You still need pants, though. We may still need pens, even though everybody's
0: working from home now. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about the serverless architecture and what it is, why you would want to use it. I've been working in the AWS Lambda serverless architecture for the past couple months, and I've been having a fantabulous time. It's been (laughs) awesome. I really enjoy using Lambdas to, you know, shoot these methods that need to get done for this product that I'm building at the client, and it's just a lot easier. It feels so great. So you're having a lot of fun with it. I'm having, like, an illegal amount of fun right now.
1: Like, it oh. really cool. Wait, well, you shouldn't say that on the air. Like, <laughs> the fun police are so definitely going to get you. Oh, watch out.
0: Watch out to the fun police. Yeah, don't tell the fun police you're trying to work <laughs> on the serverless architecture. It's not
1: cool. Why is it so much fun? Like, I me here serverless and it's like okay it sounds very cryptic yes because it's like okay like there's definitely a server it's somewhere
0: somewhere yeah I so you gotta
1: it's... put the stuff on it which <laughs> is not a server it's like a zen cone <laughs> it's <laughs> one hand clapping and all that
0: no It's more like if you just, it's like a server living in 4D. Like you don't care where it is. You just hope that whatever (laughs) API hits that server, that it's up when it's available. I'm currently using Amazon as the platform of choice or the vendor of choice at the moment. And the way that I see like the, so lambdas are functions that run based on events that may happen there can be multiple events that your lambda can be triggered by to run a script one example is if you have someone who uploads a file to an s3 bucket a lambda can be triggered to run some ocr and like extract metadata from that document and then put it somewhere else in another s3 bucket so that you have access to all the metadata living in the file you uploaded Is an example Another example is just like an HTTP request. Like if you decide you want to get a list of documents that exist in your S3 bucket, you can have a Lambda that will return a list of those documents given the path that you want to show the user however you design that Lambda function. It's a lot of fun. First and foremost, if you're programming in something, chances are Amazon supports that library and that language and that framework for you to build your application. Okay. Uh, so
1: I don't have to change like my whole life in order to try it out.
0: No, no. So like Amazon has like a set list that you could start up with. So like, to my knowledge is probably, it's node, Python, Ruby, C sharp, Java, like all these different environments. So you don't have to like learn a new language to use lambdas. Like chances are Amazon supports it. And if you use a language that isn't like supported by Amazon via a drop-down menu where they can like, it's very easily configurable, already configured, you can actually like install the language to run when your lambdas are triggered. So like I've seen examples where people use lambdas written in Elixir which is like something that Amazon doesn't support, but like you could totally use that. I think another one is Go. Actually, I believe Go is another one that you can install and it's fairly easy. And Amazon supports all sorts of languages and Google does too. I don't want to be biased, but I'm going to because I'm only to <laughs> use Amazon. But um, Google Cloud Platform has all different languages and uh, Azure as well. If you're interested in the Microsoft stack has different languages that you can use.
1: Okay, so that's going to be an option. But like when you start developing your application, are you worried about like getting locked in to one vendor or another by like building it to their spec or to, you know, their standard?
0: No, that would be, there are reasons to go around being in the vendor lock. Right now I am using, so there's in the Amazon world, To deploy your application, there is a a CLI called AWS SAM, which is the server application model, excuse me, the server application module. And that will, you run like these scripts that'll deploy your code. And that's Mm -hmm. cool. But then your vendor locked into just using AWS, if you were to use that. Not to be confused with the serverless architecture, there is something called the serverless framework where you, they couldn't come up with a better name, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) But the serverless framework allows you to set up, you know, you can set up your application in a YAML file. Usually it's the serverless.yaml because in the near future, we're all going to be coding in YAML. So like the very, very first line you can put is the provider and the provider could be AWS. It could be Google. It could be Azure. And depending on what you put in the provider, when you run serverless deploy, it'll deploy to that provider to that vendor yeah so like you could have you know your amazon stack and then you just change the provider you may need to change a couple of things here and there in the yaml file but like the code that you had written like doesn't need to change
1: you've already defined like what the entry point is and the payload that's given to you when that thing gets started up will remain the same
0: yeah i mean like If you were to use like Azure, for example, you may not have the ability to trigger a Lambda via S3, right? Like I don't know what the Azure equivalent is, but I imagine that you would just have to change those variables to Mm. match what is up for Microsoft in, in the Azure architecture. One of the really, really cool things about AWS in particular that I know is that it's extremely cheap to run. And have <laughs> these things that it's so there are so many zeros bro like <laughs> if i had no, to tell you how wait, which side of the decimal place right, No, it's the right hand side so the Especially when
1: the, i see the aws bill like you know you, you get a glimpse at like how much your company is paying no that. so just,
0: i haven't seen mine i could be running it up the wall i honestly don't know <laughs> but like one of the bullet points that i have here is it costs 20 cents per 1 million requests that you have Okay. It gets me to (laughs) one. Like if you're starting out an app, you probably got like 14 and that's all you and your computer. And you could just run your application and not have to worry about it. I mean, depending on what you're building, right? I mean, if you have something starting out and it's a million requests, pump the brakes, but it's only 20 cents. Uh, (laughs) Amazon offers like 1 million. The first million is free. Mind you per month so it's after your millionth request does it cost 20 cents per 1 million request Mm. i find it that it was like the easiest to set because you don't have to deal with like a build and kubernetes and ensuring that things are starting now oh man that's just (laughs) the dream bro you just push it up to amazon I hey, feel like setting up
1: Kubernetes costs more than 20 cents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. I imagine. I mean, it depends because like you could have like lambdas that get triggered based on events that may happen on EC2 instance, but like you can literally run like static websites. Like I've read articles where you could run static websites on the serverless architecture choosing AWS and not have it cost you a dime, which is like really mm. cool.
1: Mm.
0: I found it really easy to like start up and to like get acquainted with AWS serverless framework does a lot of heavy lifting which is really really cool stuff too. The other thing is I didn't there is all sorts of different and again this is me talking for AWS but there's all sorts of different like applications that come with when you use AWS lambdas like cloudwatch is the logging platform that can log all the events that happens within your lambda you can do cloud search if you wanted to search for metadata that exists in an S3 bucket. Uh, DynamoDB is not a relational database that's used by Amazon. So you can like, write, read, create, update, delete, all sorts of stuff on a No relational database. It's amazing. I'm talking really good about AWS, but there are some cons. Oh, no. Not- yeah. <laughs> if you, if you, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean... I'm I'm flying high bro. This is great stuff, but there are specific use cases where you shouldn't use lambdas. And one of the things that I know for a fact is like depending on the processing power of what your lambda is doing can actually cost money. Cuz it's not only the amount of requests that you have, but it's the amount of time that is spent within a lambda. So I think they charge you per 100 milliseconds. I forget how many, what, it's like 0.0000006 cents 000006 per 100 millisecond. But if you have to do something where it takes a lot of processing time, where this Lambda is like, like I'm not 100% sure what it could be doing on video processing. I don't know. But if your Lambda exists for a long time, then it could cost money
1: in the end. Mm, yeah. I think it's like different shape loads might be better suited like a serverless or a function as a service yeah like if you have like pretty spiky loads yeah uh, like you know most of the time you're doing nothing but sometimes you gotta deal with a lot of stuff that sounds like that could be a good option
0: yeah and like i've worked at a place at a client previously where it would not have been possible to use Lambdas. Like it would have been a great alternative because one of the benefits of using Lambda is you don't have to have a server sitting on twenty-four hours out today. You can have it like per request. So like if you have like if your business hours are from nine to five, mm-hmm. then you know, six PM to eight AM, like it's not being used as often then you have money spent because the server has to be on and that's electricity cost and whatnot. If your lambdas aren't running, then you're not paying for it. And that's like the really, really cool thing. And this is even including like if you had to choose between like using an EC2 instance versus Mm -hmm. using lambdas, right? Like an EC2 instance, if it has to exist and stay on, then you pay for that. And lambdas, you don't. But one of the problems would be the fact that if your Lambda is going to crunch numbers and do some craziness, there are time limits. So a Lambda can only run for 15 minutes at a time. Hmm. The longest a Lambda can run can be 15 minutes. So anything beyond that, it just fails. Like
1: it'll drop until you "Hey, like connection. Like it'll time out essentially. So if you're trying um, to like do something that's really intense, then you have to think about how to break it down into smaller pieces. Right. The
0: idea is that like you would have some form of like asynchronous Lambda process to do that because you don't want to hit that 15 minute limit.
1: Right. It feels like that will be a kind of smell of its own. Like if you, it's like having a web request that lasts for that long. You want to. Yeah. You got, you got problems, bro. You need to look (laughs) at (laughs) it. You got to. face. You want to like background it or like farm it out to a bunch of other processes. Like, you know, MapReduce it or something like that. Yeah. And like, yeah, you would definitely
0: have to figure out ways to mitigate some of that time so that your Lambda just runs as fast as possible. So you can end up paying the least amount of money as possible. Another article I've read, there's this, not theory. So let's say you run a particular Lambda. The Lambda does need time to like load up and start to run this Lambda. So right. like if it's a job it
1: like AWS is or Google Cloud or whoever your provider isn't just going to keep your functions ready to go. If nobody Yeah. Can.
0: Another con to using the serverless architecture is this concept called uh, cold start. So suppose you had a Lambda that runs and it will still be, I guess, like loaded or cached for about, I think the default for AWS is 10 minutes so, okay, so after another 10 minutes they're like the database is like okay you're not using it getting rid of it yeah shut it down like we'll rebuild it if necessary if someone else calls this lambda or hits this api endpoint so the idea that like your functions may have this like delay to trigger an event is a potential issue if people aren't like really sensitive with timing and ensuring that lambda has to be really fast or so the response has to be really fast. But this happens, again, the default for Amazon is like 10 minutes and it depends on the language.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So I think like, yeah, so if you're doing something in Node and you got a ton of Node modules that you need to import for this one Lambda, it may take longer than if you were to just do a Hello
1: World with just a native Node library. Uh, okay, yeah. I guess like that black hole of Node modules folder is going to hold you back a little bit with a yeah. cold start.
0: Yeah. And like, it's, and I say it's a long time, but it's probably like a second, maybe two. But if your application or the product you're building is, has to have that time be really fast, then you may need to figure out a pattern to ensure that your lambdas are like loaded to
1: be ready to go for those calls. And he said something that's like, kind of like a little bit opaque to you? Like it's not something that AWS is, are they like pretty transparent about like how that happens? It seems like people are like scientifically like poking at the service to figure out how it actually works under the hood.
0: Yeah, I think it's more like people are trying to figure out what's happening under the hood. I'm not 100% sure if Amazon has been transparent, but certain languages just deal with this cold start differently. You have Ruby Python node can be pretty fast and C-sharp and Java can be a little bit on the slower end and it may have to do with how verbose the languages are to have them up and running. I'm not 100% sure, but there's a lot of people trying to find and dig up information about this cold start thing. And I think this is probably going to
1: be an issue in the serverless architecture for time to come. So I'm kind of curious, since you were talking about like package size making a big difference in the startup time, I'm wondering like how does that work with how you like design your application like are there ways like when you build and deploy do you just deploy the one function and like the minimal set of things that's required for it or do you kind of like deploy a monolith that contains all the functions and can be used by different endpoints the way that I've been doing it has been you deploy them
0: function by function so In that you make your functions as small as possible. So you're not importing all the libraries. If you need to run this one Lambda that does, that just fetches you a list of documents in an S3 bucket, for example, you would probably like certain packages already preloaded that you wouldn't need to like import your node modules in your Lambda. Like for example, the AWS SDK, you could just call it like, you. hey, I want you do require AWS SDK, boom. And then now you can make the S3 calls to do that. Like you don't have to load up your secret key or your AWS access key because you're running it in the Lambda that's going to call these things anyway. But hmm. so you, you would deploy them function by function. Like you can do like serverless deploy and it'll deploy all your functions if you really wanted to, but you can actually deploy them. Like let's say you built or you had to update a particular Lambda, you could just run serverless deploy and then dash function and then you could give it the function name and it'll just deploy that function too. I think the other issue, if you're dealing with sensitive data, then you may want to house it in your own personal server. If it's sensitive data, you want to know where those servers are. You don't want it to be serverless. And it's probably something that you want housed on your end. I mean, I imagine like Amazon definitely has, there's all sorts of different encryptions you could have in your S3 bucket. But if you're dealing with super sensitive data, then that should be housed in some server where you know exactly where it is. And it's, you have security
1: people ensuring that no one's trying to get in and all that good stuff. Right. And I guess like with serverless, there may not be any guarantees about what other functions are running alongside your functions right? inside of Amazon's server that does exist somewhere out there. Somewhere in the ether, bro. I have no idea where it is. Probably some server farm in the middle Uh, of the United States. Yeah, like West Virginia,
0: Ohio, maybe. (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think the last thing that I had issues with is best practices. I mean, the serverless framework can be really opinionated about how you do certain things but i was having a pretty difficult time trying to figure out what's the best way to organize my repo and how do i structure my files when i do things because while you have your code up on github it may look like just a list of functions that does things which Mm -hmm. is very strange like you would think it's not like model view controller ish it's just like hey right now like we're still building this app and I just have a source folder that has my eight lambdas that does things. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know if like, um, should I structure it based on what it's doing? And like, how do I do it? Am I just going to have a pool of lambdas just hanging out in the source folder, chilling? Mm -hmm. So that's like one of the things that I was trying to look at. If anyone has any feedback on it, I'd be more than happy to read up on it. But Serverless has been great. If you haven't used the serverless architecture, find a vendor and get started. It's a whole lot of fun. It's
1: pretty dope. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to see what I can do with it. I guess I'll have to ask you about like all the best practices that you're figuring out over time. I guess like serverless sounds like it helps or the uh, serverless framework sounds like it helps with a lot of tooling aspects that might be very different than what I'm used to. Like I'm trying to think of like what like CI, CD or like testing looks like. And I imagine there are some good answers out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of like testing right now, like we're using Jest to test our node, our lambdas very similar to how you would unit test any node application, which is great. I think right now we're using a, like co-climate or review our code and all sorts of stuff that's hooked up on the repo right now. But yeah, I think, I mean, you can build fully-fledged apps and have it cost pennies on the dollar. And it's amazing. It's crazy. Serverless so is the future. I just, you got to help me find the servers, bro. I don't know where they are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're doing a road trip to West Virginia.
0: <laughs> we're going down to West Virginia.
1: Huh. Awesome.
0: Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going.